Um, it is, again, it is uh, Communion Sunday where we're going to come to the table later on in the service, which means we do things a little bit different here um, during the scripture reading. One of the things we're going to ask you to do is when we read scripture, we usually face the center of the room and there's the scripture being read there. We're going to ask you to actually face the table. And as you hear the scripture passage this morning, I'd like you just to think of communion themes as you hear the scripture read. Our scripture reading this morning is 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Um, through 5.5. Five. And our scripture reader this morning is Marvin Barnes. So Marvin, he's going to read up from right up here, actually. So Marvin, you can head on up. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Thank you, Marvin. You may be seated. So there's this story from about a decade ago now um, of the Houston airport, if you've ever been there. Um, years ago at the Houston airport, <coughs> the airport um, began to have their uh, customer service lines grow longer and longer and longer with complaints. And the complaints were that as people exited the plane that they were on and then they headed out and then they landed at the baggage terminal, they had to wait there and then they had to keep waiting there. And then the wait got unbearably long to the point where people began to complain about it. And so the Houston airport decided to do something about this. So they poured in manpower and then they poured in resources. And they tried to streamline kind of how the baggage system worked at the airport. And after they had hired new employees and like figured out ways where they could be a little bit more efficient along the way, they got to the moment where they were getting bags off of planes and then they were getting them in travelers' hands in less than eight minutes, which I guess for airport standards is incredibly fast. Now, there was a problem. And the problem was that the lines of people coming to complain at the customer service remained. People were still upset. People would get off their plane and then they'd head down and then they'd end up waiting at the baggage claim, what seemed like forever. And so the airport, who was 
at this point kind of confused and desperate to try anything, they tried a social experiment, they called it. What they decided to do was they decided to take the baggage claim area and move it to the opposite end of the airport of where the terminals are. And so when you get off of your plane, you have to walk for approximately eight minutes to get to <laughs> your bags. And shockingly, the complaints stopped overnight. Apparently, travelers would rather be doing something like walking while they wait rather than standing at the baggage terminal waiting. I think that's very interesting. And I think, I think it says a lot about humans. It says a lot about us and our feelings toward being stuck waiting. How many of us love being in that long line waiting? Uh, if you rose your hand, you can leave. It's okay. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't do that. But most of us, we really don't like waiting. I know that my kids really don't like waiting. When we're in the car and we're, we're driving to a further destination, say further than an hour, it's like three minutes in, they're already asking, are we almost there yet? This wait is taking forever. And I know that I hate waiting. I hate when I'm in Dutch Brothers and I look at the line of cars that spans like two straight miles. That bothers me, being in that line. And my guess is it's probably true for you as well. We just don't like waiting. And customer service on the phone waiting, that is like the worst form of waiting, isn't it? Now, do you know how often Americans wait? I do, because I looked it up, because I'm strange. I like this kind of stuff. Americans wait a, a lot in life. Um, the average American daily waits about 30 minutes in a line somewhere. 30 minutes a day, on average, we sit and wait in a line. Um, the average American, when we go to the doctor's office, and we have a doctor's appointment, and then we step into the waiting room there, the average wait each time we do that is 32 minutes in America today. 32 minutes. A half an hour. Um, this, now, this one is gender neutral. I'm not pointing any fingers at any um, men, women. I'm not doing that. But the average time that Americans wait for their spouses or significant others to get ready to leave for like a trip or something, 21 minutes. I'm not pointing any fingers, but it's 21 minutes. In traffic, Americans spend about 38 hours a year in traffic. Now, a 70-year-old in America will have spent something like 110 days of their lives waiting in traffic. That's so depressing. And this is the worst one for me of all. Uh, and the average American in their lifetime will spend 43 days of their life on hold with like the cable company. It's like, <laughs> I don't know, that one hurts for me. We just, we don't like waiting. Waiting is not, it's not built into us. It's something that's countercultural to who we are, especially as Americans. But here's the thing. Waiting is, is a deeply Christian practice. Waiting is. And, and waiting is a deeply biblical principle. If you open your Bible and you look around, literally like within the first couple pages, you will hear stories about people waiting. All the way through the scope of the Bible, 
are stories of people waiting. And often the waiting comes in the form of waiting on the Lord. That exact phrase is used so many times in the Bible. Waiting on the Lord. Uh, The Psalms, which is like the prayer book of the Bible, that actually has many Psalms about this waiting on the Lord. Here's just Psalm 130, just a chunk of it here. Listen to this. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And his word, I put my hope. Now, hope is just another word for waiting. It's like a more positive version of waiting in some sense. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. It's that first phrase, if you see it. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits for the Lord. And in his word, I put my hope. This phrase, this verse, in essence, is one of the largest building blocks of what a Christian worldview actually looks like. It looks like waiting on the Lord. That, that no matter what may happen in our lives, we can have a confidence in our lives. We can boldly keep taking steps forward in our lives no matter what may happen because there is a God in this universe that is involved in this world, in each of our lives. And we can wait for this God and we can place our hope in this God because this God will come through for Israel and this God will come through for us. We just have to wait on the Lord. You see, it's biblical waiting that actually undergirds the scripture reading we just heard this morning. And what the Apostle Paul is trying to do in this passage is to flesh out, well, what does waiting on the Lord look like, you know, post-cross, post-resurrection? Like when Jesus came, like all that waiting that the Jews did, and then the Messiah came, well, what about the waiting now? Like what does that look like for us now as followers of Jesus? You know, when we think about waiting, what do we often think about? The future, right? We're waiting on something to happen in the future. There's a timeline aspect to waiting. Like when we are at the Rocket Express car wash and we have just pulled in and the line is like 15 cars deep and we're waiting. And you know what we're waiting for? We're waiting for that moment when, when we can pull our like left tire into that little track thing and like there's like the little bump that goes along with it. And then we put the car in neutral and it starts going forward. And then literally like a rainbow starts falling on our car in the form of rainbow colored soap. It's this really magical experience. Like it's a spirit filled experience, I think. And then by the end of the Rocket Express, you pull out and your car is clean and the weight is finally over, right? Like that's what waiting is. It's this thing that's going to happen in the future as we wait in the line of cars. But one of the big points that Paul makes when we look at our scripture reading this morning is that waiting on the Lord isn't necessarily a, a purely future thing. We're not waiting necessarily for something only to happen in the future. It's a different kind of waiting, Now, I don't know if you noticed this when we read our scripture reading this morning. It's really interesting to me. But our scripture reading is actually full of comparisons. Like literally every single verse that we just read has comparisons in it. This versus this. This versus this. Every single verse along the way. Open your Bible and take a look at it if you can here a second. And I just made a list of the like five of them for you to to consider to talk about this waiting thing. Now listen to the, this is from the first verse of our scripture reading. Paul says, Though outwardly we are wasting away, 
Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Outwardly, our physical bodies are failing us, Paul says. Like our knees, they, they are going bad. And, and our hair, for some of us, starts falling out of our heads. And for guys, I don't understand this, but when the hair falls out of the head, it like doesn't fall on the ground. It lands in other parts of the body and like it seeds it or something. I mean, you look like a caveman from here down. And then like an infant. I don't know what happens. It's... But there's something about this failing of our bodies and it's all a part of it. And perhaps you've experienced the failing of your body in a different way. Yet, yet, Paul says, inside of us, kind of at this spiritual level, there is a renewal going on in us. As, as our bodies are falling apart, Literally, as we age and things start wearing down and falling apart inside of us, at the same time, we are being renewed day by day. Right now, in this very moment, you and I are being renewed kind of at the spiritual internal level day by day. We are experiencing two realities at the same time, the reality of our bodies falling apart and then the reality of this inner renewal all at the same time. According to Paul, we're waiting for something that is already happening within us, which is really interesting, isn't it? Listen, listen to the next verse. There's another compare and contrast. This is verse 17. It says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Essentially what Paul is saying is that we experience conflict in our lives, like relational conflict or political conflict or whatever it may be, medical conflict, something like that. And those light and momentary troubles for us, uh, they actually lead us to something eternal. And the contrast is between the light and momentary badness to this eternal goodness that's going to last for a very long time. Look at the next verse. Verse 18. This is the first half of verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Again, we see this waiting in the present tense almost type thing. Waiting for something that's going to happen into the future, but that thing that's going to happen in the future is actually already beginning to happen around us right now. And, and according to Paul, we can actually see this unseen thing that's happening around us if we have the eyes to see it. Right now, in your neighborhoods, and in our families, and on our street corners, and in our houses, and at your work, and basically any place you can go, this new unseen thing is happening in the world, all around us. God is moving in this world and sending this world toward his will in some direction right now. And apparently, for many of us, we don't have the eyes to see it. There's another comparison. This is the, the second half of verse 18. It says, Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Meaning that what God is doing in this world right now that is eternal. Meaning when Jesus comes back and all things are made new again and this heaven thing happens, those things that are happening right now in our world will remain. It's kind of interesting. One more. This is from uh, chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, 
We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. And of course, the contrast is between this temporary earthly body thing, this tent is what Paul says. And then there's this heavenly house actually that God is preparing for you and I right as we speak. And there's more. Go into our scripture reading later and look, there's more. Look, Paul writes all of these comparisons in this passage for a reason. He's trying to get at something, something about who we are, our reality as humans and the world around us. That as followers of Jesus, we are called to wait upon the Lord, where we're supposed to wait this deeply Christian practice thing we're supposed to do. But it's not just this waiting for the future thing to happen. It's actually this, this waiting for something that has already begun in our world. God is calling us to wait for a future that is already beginning. And that future is eternal. It's forever. You could probably use the word heaven to talk about this future that's already beginning to happen around us. And some of those things that God is working in to bring this eternal, this future, this heaven thing, some of those things are happening inside of you and inside of me. And it's eternal. In your spirit, some might say. We just need to have the eyes to see it. To, to see the unseen. And, and I guess the question for us is, well, well, what are you seeing these days? When you look out into the world, what are you seeing? I mean, if you look at Paul's compare and contrast, right, those, the five verses that we just had, maybe we can throw those back on the screen. What side of the comparison takes up most of your sight in your life when you think about it? Do you see the outwardly wasting away, the light and momentary troubles, the, the scene, the temporary, the earthly tent type stuff in life? Is that what you see when you look out? Or do you see the other side? of Paul's argument. The renewal and the eternity and the glory and this unseen activity of God in the world, this heaven kind of stuff. What, what do you see? You know, for me, if I am just gut honest with you, I see the temporary. I see the momentary struggles side of things far more than I see the unseen. I get absorbed with wasting, with the wasting away and the light and momentary troubles kind of stuff. I live there a lot. And it's easy to see, isn't it? I mean, look at our global world today. You have North Korea and nukes. That's not exactly good news. You have Russia and like political scandal, whatever stuff. You have China and trade wars. You have other things like mass hunger, right? There's people that are starving to death right now in our world, and it's not getting better. You have sex trafficking in our world today. There are right now millions of people stuck in the sex trade, not on their behalf, or not because they want to be. 
You know, I was in Cambodia years ago, and I remember I went to this really small town, and we were walking around the small town, and this, it's the small enough town to where, like, they have paths. They don't have streets. And to get to a main street, you had to walk a mile. And the kids in this small little village, they had, to, they had to walk a mile to the main street to get to their bus stop. And so these kids would head on off, and then they would try to head back. And often the parents said to us, hey, often our kids don't come home, and we never see them again because sex traffickers pick them up, and they're gone. And so they actually had to bring security for their kids as they walk a mile to the school bus and back every single day. This is the world we live in. Volcanoes are erupting in our world like all the time. Like they hurt people. It seems like a bad place to be. And maybe this isn't the worst thing in the world, um, but to me, it's, it's pretty high on the list. It's the World Cup. Anyone watch the World Cup? Soccer? Like it's this big soccer tournament between every country in the world. It's awesome and everyone fights it out on the big world stage to see who, the be- who has the best soccer team. And the USA didn't even qualify for it. It's a dark place, <laughs> I think. But there's the personal stuff too that I see a lot of. Now don't hear me as complaining. I'm 31, I'm gonna be 32 next month. But when I turned 30, Something happened. I can't explain it, but like my body started hurting in new places. Like my shoulder hurts. And like when I run and then I stop running, my right knee, like it gets stiff now. It actually hurts now. I spotted a couple of gray hairs right here when I tried to grow my beard out and I convinced myself they were blonde hairs, but they're not. They're gray. But then I look at my family in my parents, as I look at my parents, and I'm noticing that they're slowing down and their medical problems are rising. I see the wasting away, temporary, easy to see parts of life, and I get caught spending an inordinate amount of time thinking and dwelling on those things in my life. And if I'm honest, I spend a lot of time wasting away, and I've spent a lot of decisions in my life on these things that are wasting away in my life. And there's an irony to it for me because I spend all this time trying to ward off all this temporary, momentary troubles, stuff like that, and, and I have a really bad track record of actually making it go away and stopping it. What about you? What do you spend most of your time seeing? You know, how often do you catch that glimpse, that, that glimmer of the eternal? that glimmer of God at work in the world, how often do you see that? How often do you see God's restorative work in the world where God is making things new in the world again? How often do we really see that? How often do you catch glimpses of God at work inside of you? Really? Where God is doing some renovating of your heart, growing you up spiritually in new ways. How often? You see, Paul says that the eternal is the thing that we're supposed to be obsessed with. That's where we should spend all of our time. And yes, 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 our bodies are breaking down and we have momentary troubles, right? We have all that kind of stuff. And it seems like society, society's breaking down. And and it seems like politically maybe we're breaking down. And it seems like the world in general is just a worse place than it was a year ago. But, 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 but there's this eternal thing going on at the exact same time. 
and this eternal thing, as the world is wasting away, as Paul says it, at the same time as that, God is moving in. The question is, do you see it? God is on the move in this world. Do you see it? Our world is breaking down, but God is breaking in to our worlds. Think about that. You know, if you're like me, you have a hard time catching a glimpse of the unseen. That's really tough. Our eyes are mostly on what is seen. That's where we look most of our lives, where we spend most of our lives. And that's okay because God knows that about us and God has implemented things in our lives to help us see the unseen better. Communion, the Lord's Supper, the thing we're going to do in a couple of minutes is a great example of seeing the unseen. It, communion is filled with all kinds of meaning. It's a moment to look back and to remember the cross, to remember what Jesus did. Remember that Jesus went to a cross and died on a cross for our sins and he paid that penalty gladly for us so that we could be one with God again. And then there's this other element of communion. There's this community piece that we all come to the same table together and we all remember the same things together and we all eat the same things together. And when we do that, there's something about that that makes us one, that brings us together in a way that I've not seen in other places. But there's more to communion too. See, communion also gives us eyes to see the unseen. It, it gives us a glimpse of what God is up to right now in this world. It gives us a look at the eternal that is popping up all around us and we don't even notice it most of the time. And this is true because when we come to the table, God promises to come to the table with us and meet us there. And when we meet God, we always leave change. And the change that we get from God is eternal. It's an eternal change. It's the unseen. I challenge you, when, when we come to the table here in just a couple minutes, to look for the unseen. Look for it. And I promise you, if you come looking, you'll find it. God will be there. You'll leave changed. You'll see the unseen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the amazing story that it's telling. It's the true story of the whole world. God, we're thankful for the cross and we're thankful that somehow at the cross and the resurrection, something new was started, God, and it's still happening today. And yes, God, we wait. We do, we wait eagerly and we look forward to the day where Christ returns, but you're, at, you're on the move now. And God, we, we pray that you help us see that to see the unseen and perhaps to even participate in it. We thank you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive this blessing from uh, 2 Thessalonians. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen? Amen.